All right, welcome to a bonus episode of the Horse Racing Happy Hour. There's going to be a couple of these this week. Um, oh, we got to turn off the music, EJ, before I introduce my guest here. Um, usually our, our producer, Zach, is on with us, and he's doing all that kind of stuff. So, uh, But I'm doing it solo. Well, not solo. I'm here with EJ Clark for, with the Kentucky Winter Circle, a guy that I've known for several years. EJ, uh, his show, Kentucky Winter Circle, is the longest-running horse racing show. Is it in the country? Well, I don't know about the country, but certainly in, this in, area. in Louisville, in Kentucky, it is the longest-running horse racing show. And mostly it has been a broadcast, as you know, Mike. Yep. But in the last two or three years, we have concentrated more on podcasting and things. And by the way, thank you for inviting me on your show today. Oh, absolutely. It's, absolutely. it's good to get back with you, my friend. Well, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for EJ Clark. So this is like uh, – <laughs> You're uh, too this kind. Is, this is a, it's been a big year for both of us. EJ celebrating 25 years with his show. Uh, him and Lane Gold do a great job with that. And uh, and then EJ helped me get into the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters uh, this year, which I'm very grateful for. I was going back, EJ, and I was trying to remember the first derby we worked together. And I, you know, I, I was thinking about that as well prior to the show today. And I'm I'm gonna say it was either sixteen or seventeen. What do you think? Well, I know I started doing stuff for the radio station before that, so that yeah. sounds about right. And because I'm I'm going back, and like this is like the spoiled brat, like the humble brag. Like you know, unfortunately, like I'm very blessed, and my family has box seats, so I I've been to most derbies since I was in the eighth grade. Not every single one, but most of them. And so I can't honestly remember if I started doing media stuff like in 2010 or 2011, but it was, it was around that time. And then, and then when uh, the, the post race show mm-hmm. came around, then you and I worked together on that. I mean, we had some long days. So, I mean, we were doing pre and post. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was doing like 13 hours of radio. And oh, yeah. weekend. It was crazy. It was nuts. I mean, it was, um, it was about well, as tell, as it gets. I'd like to tell people about the, Post-race show was something that we wanted to do. We wanted to come back to. Actually, I started out at WTMT Radio in the 80s, and I came to that small mom-and-pop country radio station up against the giant WAMZ, as people know, here in the Louisville market. And really, I was just a jock you know, on, on the station and, you know, did my four or five hours or whatever, still doing mobile DJ work. And really I had backed into country music, Mike, in the late seventies, uh, 77 actually. And then sort of backed into horse racing as well as, as the time went on because I w- became the program director and I just felt like what we were doing was a very narrow narrow thing at the time this was now folks this is pre-tvg we're talking about here yeah right and so at the time and this is the truth this is i love to talk about this because at the time every bar and restaurant that had horse racing fans at their watering holes if you will and not at the racetrack would listen to our our stretch calls we broke every rule in radio we had a, a mic on Mike Pataglia that went right straight back to the radio station on 2nd and Broadway in downtown Louisville next to the Holiday Inn. We did that. We started that in the mid-80s. 
And that really kind of started changing the thing to where we were doing more, but it was still basically more about the handicapping, the betting and that kind of thing. And I felt like, gee, if we're going to do this, we need to do more. So I started pestering my owner and boss and talking about, you know, we could do this, we could do more. And, and, you know, little by little, you know, we carried the Keeneland feature race of the day in the fall and the spring and Churchill Downs. And we, we had a recap show of all the races at six o'clock, but we knew we could do more, but, uh, and we finally did more. We, I used to do when we were covering the races in 91, we went to Churchill Downs, <clears throat> excuse me. And the owners decided that we could be there for an hour with a recap show and a feature race. Then we could do reports live from Churchill and the race results. So on Derby day, you're talking, you were talking about long days on Derby day. I used to do a recap just by myself and run through the results, obviously. And, you know, you had uh, 12, 13 races, something like that on average on Derby days. And then we, we put a microphone on, uh, we went to Hammond uh, Productions, Tom Hammond's company, and we and Churchill approved it, of course. And we, we actually put the, the post-race interview on the radio live. And I don't know if anybody else was doing that, but, but that was something that I wanted to do. And that was pre-Kentucky Winter Circle radio show on Saturday morning. So we evolved to that, and then we kind of got away from that. And, Mike, when you and I started doing the recap, that was so much fun for me because that was one of those things, and I know I'm kind of going along here on explaining this, that was one of those things, Mike Andafo, that had been left out or we really didn't get to do. And what you brought to the table was not only knowing the races, knowing the people, knowing, you know, uh, the card and the undercard and actually because we're sitting there, we're betting the undercard, you know, that's on the air. Right. Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you know, so that was, it, it wasn't that, uh, you popped in for a two hour gig. You were, we were sitting there sort of slugging it out on, uh, betting and, uh, and having a few beverages, uh, now Maybe and a cigar to you. Yeah. <laughs> and a cigar, by the way, Yeah, yeah. by the way, so uh, I just, um, by the way, and this is partly cigars and everything on, you know, the horse racing happy hour. I had, and I don't, I don't smoke too many cigars anymore, but I had an Oliva Series oh, yeah. Z, yes. one of my favorite cigars uh, yeah. with, with a good friend on his birthday. That was a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably a, maybe a cigar or two every three months or something now, but gosh. I still like them. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I, it's been a while for me to have one, too. You know, just life happens, and it's hard to even carve out that hour and a half to sit down and have a cigar sometimes. And that's, I think it's <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons why I like going to the track, because you know you're going to get that, especially on Derby Day when you might have yeah. 75 minutes between uh, the uh, Old Forester and the Derby. So, you know, it's a great yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Going, going, so. Hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So I know you've been with the Kentucky Derby Festival for a long, long time. Yes. So you were doing that. So when did you decide yourself that you wanted to to do more and to get into broadcasting and 
and and do something on the radio. So uh, we were, I was doing Derby Festival stuff uh, for the basketball classic, and I was recruiting basketball players. And so um, these radio stations would have me on to talk about basketball recruiting. And um, that's when uh, Dugan Ryan asked me to help out with Derby coverage. And again, I don't, I don't remember if it was 2010 or 2011. <clears throat> and so I was like, yeah, I'll go help out with Derby coverage and, uh, and, and did a couple shows. And then uh, the, the funny thing is the second year, he didn't like fully ask me. So uh, I was credentialed and I didn't know it until like the last second. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened to Dobber too. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I just, uh, I, I know that, you know, I went in there that second year and I, again, I wish I remember if that was 2011 or 2012, but I, I really feel like I was on the air for I'll have another in 2012. So the, um, uh, and then I kind of, it kind of grew and I knew that I was starting going to do more and more of it. And then we started doing, uh, your show and then we would have a show either before or after your show and then we come together again and do the uh, the post race together and uh, and it just I knew that those were such those two three days of ra- those two days of racing Oaks and Derby Day you know as horse racing people know it's kind of like the Breeders Cup preview almost mm-hmm. and um, for me to be able to speak intelligently I needed to be able to uh, stay up because you you set such a high bar because I mean EJ can like remember who who the jockey was in the sixth race at Churchill days and what the weather, what the Churchill was in 1992 and what the weather was like. And I mean, so, um, and you know, and then he'll be able to break down all the connections. And so the only way that I was even going to get close to even something like that, which I'm still nowhere close is if I did this podcasting thing. And so the, yeah. our podcast has had, um, a couple different variations and I've had different hosts and then, and then, um, and then Louie, uh, and I, uh, ironically enough, um, we were, both of our kids went to the same school. They both go to Catholic school mm-hmm. and they were, they did a, a fundraiser and Louie and I were in charge of this is the first year they were going to do a, a bourbon and cigar area. And it happened to be breeders cup weekend. And I brought a TV and Louie was telling me how much he loves horse racing. And we were having bourbon and cigars while running this bourbon cigar room, watching the breeders cup um, for this Catholic fundraiser. And that's how that kind of came about. And then when we had, uh, uh, one of our guys, Brian, the insider, if you don't know if you remember that name or not, Brian, the insider left our podcast and our derby shows that I was doing with Brian and, and Kimberly Greenwell. Mm-hmm. And so we brought Louie in and then the, the rest is history. And then, um, and then Louie and I, I guess we're on year three or four of this uh, deal. Louis yeah. Kill me for not knowing what exactly what that is, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I had to do the weekly podcast in order to keep up with horse racing enough to be able to, really felt like I could deliver on those days. And now in some ways, I mean, you've seen the complete evolution. The podcast is bigger than the radio because you can reach more people. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And and we we were sort of resisting that Mike. And let me tell you something, you, you you progressed every year. And I want to remind people that, that Mike and I were in a tough spot in 2019 because (laughs) ESPN Louisville had asked us to go on before Horse Racing Radio Network had finished their coverage. They wanted sort of um, a few minutes after Derby. We get on there. Mike and I are in the media center. Now, we only have one shot. We have no head on. And everybody knows what happened and the disqualification of maximum security. Well, we talked about the betting implications uh-huh. later, but yeah. let me tell you, 
What people don't know is if I had I been on the track in the previous year and Mike was back there by himself for the first 10 minutes before Lane and I got back, like we had done before, I could have brought some more information to the table, but you and I are sitting there on live radio on whole radio station. Yep. And we, we cannot, we, there's no add on. So we can't really talk intelligently and we can't see the winner's circle where uh, the two jocks, you know, were talking to the stewards and everything and everything about the milling. How, how long was it? Was it 23 minutes? I forget. I, it was a long minutes. time because you and oh, I were trying God. to figure out what was going on. We yeah. went on the air thinking maximum security is the winner. And I mean, it was, I still have some people that uh, I see every once in a while from Kansas city who listened to that on, on the live stream. And they said that was some of the best radio because it was so organic. Uh, while we were just trying to figure it out, he, they were like, they were, we had, he's like, you had us on pins and needles trying to figure out that what was going on with this decision. And I just, um, they, they tell me almost every single time I tell them about how much they enjoyed that show just because, wow, that's uh, nice to hear. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the fun part of what we got to do because, you know, I've, I've said quite frequently, like, I don't know if we've had like a, just a, a normal derby since john asher passed away no and we you and i have talked about that i've <laughs> talked about it with lane and other people since john asher passed away in september of 2018 we have not had a normal derby well hey look you know we epicenter came into the kentucky derby this year okay yep. and had all the credentials checked all the boxes i was in his camp and what happens? We have blistering speed on the front end. Mm-hmm. We have a horse that had won a maiden race at Churchill Downs. He couldn't win two of these preps over at Turfway Park against Lighter Company. He comes in there with Sonny Leon, his regular rider. And because it sets up perfectly for Rich Strike, and he's able to get over to the rail, split horses, get over to the rail, deep stretch, and shock the world, an epicenter, and Steve Asmussen, and Winchell Thoroughbreds, and all the horses behind him, at 80 to 1. Yep. It is, so, so you've got that shocker. You've got, we started in 2019 with the DQ, and then it's the COVID, and I wasn't there, and you were. Yeah. I was not there for, for, you know, because they limited the media and, and, you know, we were not there and we had, we had, you, you could have been there. We had plenty of riots outside of Churchill Downs on we Derby did. day. Yeah. I mean, oh. we, we had protesters. I don't know. There was some rioting, but you know, I shouldn't say it was a riot, but we had protesters outside of the home of the twin spires on, on Derby day, 2020 with no fans. Right. And then we come back in, you know, in 2021. Medina Spirit and, debacle. <laughs> and then we get a DQ a few days later. Well, we, we get we get a not not the official DQ. That didn't come until later. But, you know, with Medina Spirit. And then what a story that is. We could spend the rest of our time just talking about Medina Spirit. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it it's so bizarre. Right. Because the point system comes into play. And it's like the the favorite going to the derby wins the point system, wins the derby ever since the point system until yeah. John Asher passes away. Right. And then just all crap hits the fan. I mean, it's just, it's every 
possible scenario, you know, from the two DQs, one DQ happening months later to having the Derby in September. I mean, it's just like things you never could even like. Yeah, fathom. that's what I, I left that out for 2020. The Derby's in September. <laughs> the Belmont's the first, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's crazy and stuff. Then, and then the Preakness. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, uh, but- it's just everybody can look back and say, hey, we didn't know what to expect, but the great thing for horse racing is horse racing continued. There was no football and basketball and you name it for a while, but there was horse racing. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, though. I mean, the, the horsemen did a great job advocating for themselves in that whole they deal did. because they had to be there regardless. The horses had to, had to be taken care of regardless. I mean, it was not going to be a situation where more people were going to get exposed or whatever else, and – uh, it gave some entertainment to some people. Uh, I think horse racing could have done a better job of promoting their product during that time, but we know that that's always an issue with horse racing, you know? So uh, I think we saw that this year. I mean, I think horse racing could have done a much better job uh, promoting flight lines run in the, in the, uh, in the breeders cup. And um, just at the end of the day, like you, you, I was amazed how many people just in Louisville, Kentucky had no idea because flight line didn't run in the Derby, didn't run in the triple crown, had never, never run at Churchill Downs. How many people didn't even know who Flightline was here locally? The, the casual fan, right? Yeah, and, and that is that is problematic because, you know, you think now the Breeders' Cup classic favorite coming into the Breeders' Cup. Remember, there's 14 races, but the finale is a Breeders' Cup classic. Right. And so there's always so, so much attention, but here you had an unbeaten horse, didn't run in the Derby, didn't run in the Triple Crown, had back issues as a two-year-old so didn't get to start you know uh and here he is at the very top of his game he wins the pacific classic and immediately everybody is talking they're they're comparing him to secretariat now remember when american pharaoh came into keeneland at 2015 I don't recall any comparisons to his secretariat, but he was a triple crown winner and he, right. and he fulfilled everything. This horse comes in and sets a new length of margins victory record and just did everything. And it, it was Mike, I was there when he worked at, at Keeneland and it was, it was right there between light and dark, you know, so it was kind of eerie there. That was still kind of dark but uh, anyway, uh, the exercise writer, and, and, uh, I think it's the assistant trainer that, that was, and Ron Leva, I think, um, um, may, may have the name wrong. Nonetheless, he had a, he had a, uh, a blinking light so you could tell where, where flight line was on, on the track before he worked and then after and everything. And this horse just came in and just did his job. Everything went perfectly for him, but you know, you got to give all the credit to all of his handlers and to John Sadler, because he was under a lot of pressure and it did feel almost like a derby week. And, but yet, as you said, Mike, so many people didn't know about flight line. Right. I just thought NBC, like every Sunday night football leading up Breeders' Cup, you know, not every Sunday night football in October should have been talking about at one commercial break, you know, be sure to tune in and watch Flightline in the, in the right. Classic. You might be watching a horse of a generation for sure, uh, if not, you know, one of the best horses to run the last 100 years. I mean, 
uh, whether or not he's lightly run and people want to put that moniker on him or not, it doesn't change the fact that the horse is, was phenomenal, just a phenomenal specimen. And, uh, and he did not disappoint uh, even in adverse conditions. I loved how he overcame a bad start in the Met Mile. I loved how dominant he was in the Pacific Classic. And then uh -huh. I love how yes. he handled the weather um, because it was breezy. <laughs> At that that day at Keeneland, so yeah, um, it was it, it was it was chilly that morning. He came in there, and I don't know if it was know. the temperature as much as the wind, though. EJ, that wind was that wind was insane. Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, actually, for me personally, I walked I walked over, you know, to where all the Breeders' Cup horses were stabled. Um. And it was a nice stroll after all the excitement because everyone, I mean, there was, there was a large crowd there to see flight line work. Everyone was excited. There was kids. There were all kinds of activities for the kids and everything. Let me apologize here. My phone is ringing. So that's okay. That's something you, uh, you never want to do radio fans and, we just did it, so that won't happen again. <laughs> uh, it was not John Sadler calling, by the way, Mike. He could and be watching live on Twitter right now. You never know. He so could, you know. he could. <laughs> he could, but it it really was. It was truly exciting, and the Breeders' Cup, even when it's home, and you know Churchill or Keeneland, ah, boy, you're just up against fall football, everything else going on. It's, yeah. it, it's a lot tougher, but boy, you know, I was a strong proponent. I'm going to throw this in to a lot of people. I'm not, I don't say this to brag. I really don't. But in the early two thousands, several of my peers scoffed when I proposed on the radio, on our radio show that Keeneland should host the breeders cup and that Keeneland would do, an outstanding job and it would be super exciting to have it in Lexington with the setting that is Keeneland, the truly iconic race course. And they said, Oh, it's too small. They can't do this. You can't do that. All that was, you know, it's just like, I knew they could put nearly 35, 38,000 on a regular day on a Saturday in the fall and not even trying that just people that showed up and it could have been a daily double day where the Kentucky Wildcats were playing that night, and then there would be tons of people there. Yeah. Huh? Well, and, and I think that's what's uh, so interesting. And, again, with it being at Keeneland, it just brings the whole well, – first off, the British Coast is about the horsemen celebrating the, the industry. Yes, so it much, is a right? celebration for the horsemen. And, you know, that's where the sales are, and that's just – it's just it, – overall, it just kind of brings the whole thing full circle. I mean, you've got – people that are literally leaving their barns and just driving the 15, 20 minutes and coming to Keeneland and uh, just it's such a cool celebration from that standpoint. And uh, they, they did a great job. I mean, that all three of them, they've done a really good all job. Three of them have, been, have been outstanding. So, all right, EJ, uh, again, because of you, I get an eclipse award vote for the first time. So uh, <laughs> part of what, part of what we do is we educate uh, what the eclipse awards are to our listeners and uh, I, even the people who I think follow horse racing, I think there's some confusion about really what they are and who who is eligible. So um, first off, our instructions said basically if, if a horse ran in the in United States or Canada one time, 
they're eligible for the Eclipse Award. That is correct. Now, what is your definition on what the Eclipse Award actually is? Like, is it? My definition of the Eclipse Awards for the different categories and, and what it's about is you are choosing the outstanding horse in each category. Now, I have a vote. Uh, do, does that mean it's really easy to pick? In some categories, it is. For the juveniles, the two juveniles, easy. You, no I, see, I think the juvenile Philly e. a... Clark here. I'll give you an wow. example. Now, later on, later on, Mike, uh, when you get into some of these other categories, it, it gets tough. No question on flight line. Right. Horse of the year, older, older male. No question about that. You, you know, um, the horse is six for six. Right. And he destroyed the field in the Pacific Classic by 19-plus lengths. He came back, eh, it was only eight. That's a that's a record margin in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and uh, that eclipsed a Triple Crown and Grand Slam winner being American Pharaoh. Uh, and, it, and honestly, it, it probably could have been more. It probably could have been more stunning. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's it's incredible jumping up and down. Yeah, and, uh, and and that was at Keeneland, folks. Love it. Now, yes, I'm a homer. <laughs> you know, I was born and raised. In Louisville, do I, you know, am I going to promote horse racing in the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown? And yes, yes, of course, without question. But again, getting back to what I was about to say before I got off the track there, it is about choosing the best horse in that category. So that what you take into consideration, the caliber of races that they won, grade ones, grade twos, grade threes the company they beat, the times they ran in. Um, for me, it is not just because a horse has a grade one over another horse and for the trainer. Because There's too many variables with that, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, horses I mean, have bad days just like if, if you ask me, it, it, it's easy for the trainer and the jockey. We'll come back to that. So I want them to think about that. Yeah. Now, let me make this case here for the two outstanding two-year-olds. Without a doubt, Breeders' Cup juvenile winners are, without a doubt, first of all, it's Forte. Uh, uh, hold Huge. on. Look, before Huge. you go too far in this, EJ, our, we're tasked, by the way, so people know what our vote is, is we basically have got to rank number one, number two, number three, kind of like right. what they do with the Heisman vote in exactly. each one of these categories, and then they do a point system based off how you rank these three horses. So, uh, you were going to talk about the two-year-old males, and I think you were getting ready to talk about Forte, who would be on the number one line for me as well in that in that situation. But he he is at, he is at the top. He's huge yeah. at the top. Cave Rock from California and Blazing Stevens. Here's why. Okay, Forte, no question. Three grade ones in a row, starting with the hopeful, and then the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland at a mile and a sixteenth, same distance, comes back. And he improved, by the way, in the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland, Loggins did all the heavy work in the race. And he only, Forte only wins by a neck. Loggins just ran his heart out, didn't come back 
they're saving him. He's down in Ocala right now. Get his First of all, rest. Irad Ortiz. I mean, just another brilliant ride and with takes another horse and takes him along. Without question, Keeneland Sale graduate. Violence is the is the sire. He's there. He beats Cave Rock. First loss. Comes in from California. He'd won the American Pharaoh. He'd won the Del Mar Futurity. Those are grade ones. He won them impressively. All three of his starts, he finishes his two-year-old campaign three for four. And by the way, that's Michael Pegram, Mr. Watson, and uh, also um, uh, Watson and Wheatman are the other two owners. But Mike Pegram helped launch Kentucky Winter Circle. Grew up in French Lick, uh, uh, not French Lick, but uh, Evansville area, Indiana. And uh, was born in Fort Knox, so he's uh, he's just a great guy. And, uh, you know, I wished him well in the paddock before the race, but uh, Cave Rock had to ship in, and you know, you will hear from him. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I think people going into that race, EJ, thought Cave Rock could have be could be a, a super horse. I mean, I think uh, he oh, was yeah. having. I mean, uh, so the Forte win, um, although not completely unexpected. I mean, the horse did go off at five to one in in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but was coming off, I mean, two other grade one wins. So three grade one wins already as a two-year-old uh, is impressive. And it looks like Forte is going to go the Florida route uh, to the Triple Crown. Um, so we'll have to just keep an eye on what happens there with, with Forte. Yeah, you know, Todd Fletcher, Mike Rapoli. I mean, God, they had a super year. Mike Rapoli, get a load of this. From from the Travers, okay, Um. They went, he had eight great one wins from the time wow. of the Travers to the Breeders' Cup. Eight great ones. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And Mo Donegal, of course, won the Travers and then had had uh, an injury and, you know, had to be retired. Uh, they were going to try to bring him back. But, uh, yeah, anyway. All right, so I'm with you on Forte. I'm, I think I'm with you on Cave Rock on either of my two or my three line. I don't think I can completely discount. This is where it gets kind of weird with the two-year-olds is because we've got these turf horses. Um, I thought Mischief Magic uh, and Victoria Road looked really good uh, on the Breeders' Cup Friday. Um, and I think they deserve to be in the discussion for one of those mm -hmm. top three spots. So uh, especially Mischief Magic to me. I thought Mischief Magic came in and just ran a really good race. And then, uh, you know, had the little had one little hiccup. Uh, but you know, when you've got a horse that you can win, and we talked about this, Mischief Magic did something that no other European turf horse has been able to do by winning that turf sprint because those yeah. those two year old turf horses in Europe run in a straight line. They've never done a turn before, and Mischief Magic came over to the United States and uh, became did something like again set did history, created history, and did something that um, no horse has ever done before. No European shipper has ever come. Well, you're, here. you're good to point that out. And again, you know, owned by Godolphin, what a great year they had again in the in the. Mm -hmm. Not only in the regular uh, seasons, but in the Breeders' Cup once again. I liked instant coffee too. You know, he, yeah. he won. I was there on the Kentucky Jockey Club Day on the uh, 26th of November, and I thought he was very, very impressive with Luis Saez riding too. He rode him both in the uh, Breeders' Futurity and and then they brought him back, and he ran against Forte and Loggins. 
but uh, this is a horse that uh, actually finished fourth that day, came back and won very, very impressively. And last year, and the last few years, actually, the, that race has been um, a very key race for the two-year-olds going forward into the road to the Kentucky Derby. I'm glad you put the turf horse in there. I got to be honest with you, I, I, I overlooked that horse. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about those fillies because you think the filly, again, if, you, if you're going to, true to form, then you like Wonder Wheel. And I think the Without filly, question. I think the Phillies could be completely wide open because we go into the Breeders' Cup, the two top selections in the Breeders' Cup, Juvenile Philly, finished uh, second to last and last. Wonder Wheel was the fourth choice, won the race, no no question. I don't think that was a, a particularly great Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly. Um, but you've got these other horses, and, you, and we mentioned some of these other races that kind of have been really good uh, indicators for future success and, and who looked, who mm-hmm. looked good. This horse, who's your filly? Oh my God! I, yeah, my my. If I'm going by the eyeball test, EJ again, and this is like, I think when people get frustrated by the Eclipse Awards, it's because it's not like we go by one formula. It's like, okay, I'm always going to take who had the most Grade One wins or always had the most earnings or whatever else. I mean, the eyeball test built, goes into this, and if if I if you ask me who's the most impressive two year old filly uh, that we saw, who's your filly is probably it for me. Uh, Julia Shining wins the Demoiselle, which that race has been a huge indicator of future success. Yeah, at, um, at a mile and an eighth. Uh, yeah, to right. Too, yeah, so. Exactly. And uh, and then you know you have one world, but you also get you again the other going back to the turf idea. Meditate was awesome in the Breeders' Cup uh, on the in the juvenile turf, uh, mm-hmm. juvenile Philly turf. So. I don't know, man. I don't. I, I but so, but you like Wonder Wheel without question. So look, I'm I'm well, setting the stage why. there. Go okay, for it. Why. Like Forte, who won the Breeders' Futurity and came back and won the the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Wonder Wheel won the Alcibiades, a Grade One at Keeneland. Came back and uh, ran and ran another big race. Now. That that's a big thing for me. Now remember that Hoosier Philly um, didn't run, and and I'm actually I really love her. As she's my early favorite for the for the, for Oaks. the Oaks. I, I was there, and uh, and you know we talked to Tom Amos for her impressively winning the Goldenrod by five, and I think she could have won by a lot more. I'm telling you. And she is so impressive. She's super fast. And she's a daughter of into mischief, Keeneland graduate. She is going to be huge. He, he was telling anybody that was listening on the air, off the air, this is the best horse he's ever trained. Tom he's Amos saying that. Been That's around huge. For a while. <laughs> huge. Okay. But, uh, when you look at Wonder Wheel, let's go back to Mark Cassie and Wonder Wheel, who, by the way, Wonder Wheel and uh, a few other, I think, uh, Loggins, they're all down in Ocala right now. Uh, Mark's got a, he's got a farm down there. And so they're, they're resting before they, you know, decide where, where they're going to go. Easy choice for me, four for five, back to back grade ones. And, you know, it was it was just uh, 
three links, the margin uh, over Leave No Trace, and Raging Sea, which uh, was a horse I was looking at pretty strongly. But she was stakes placed, grade one in the spinaway, won the debutante. So she was running early in the year at Churchill Downs and and then uh, Broker Maiden first asking at Churchill Downs. I just think that she put together – now, you remember – it's the campaign for me as well. I mean, what, what do they do? You know, did they, uh, you know, we've got some horses that impressed me that run, didn't run at the same racetrack twice, but this Philly was four for five and, you know, she was running the whole year. So for me, Mike, that's the easy choice there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you go back to 40, there's a good chance that Mr. Rapoli and Hall of Famer Todd Pletcher want to come back and and bring him back in the Grade One Toyota Bluegrass Stakes. He's already got two victories over the course, right? Or do they run him in the Florida Derby or somewhere else? We don't know. It's I don't even like to speculate even at this time of year. I guess you're going to find out how much he likes the track at Gulfstream and the Fountain of Youth. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. going to determine what's the next step. Yeah. Is. I mean, or and for Wonder Wheel, where will she go? Maybe right. she goes to the fairgrounds. Maybe she starts there. Maybe she starts at Gulfstream. I would think those would be the two most likely places. It's always but, interesting to me to kind of watch that, how that unfolds and what horses go where and, you know, and how that all, that whole selection process. Yeah. It's, it's a really kind of underrated kind of thing to start following, like who's avoiding who, who's looking for their best shot to get points and how they're going to the whole – the whole process and um yeah but definitely it's something for us to to pay attention to so all right i want to can we did you have your so you're you're big on wonder wheel there who are your other two that you're going to go with and oh, okay let me uh pop. sorry about the noise there i probably didn't prepare you very well for that by the way you probably were just gonna give me your one and didn't know about the no other actually who's your philly uh, and again who's your philly Right now, based on the Goldenrod win, is my early Oaks favorite. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, she she's she ran a, a phenomenal race. I mean, he had to be impressed. Um, and then you got Chop Chop, who okay. ran in the Alcibiades. And uh, Chop Chop also ran against Wonder Wheel. It wasn't her day. She was bumped. She had some trouble. I just think she was just flat that day. And and for me, if you like Chop Chop, she's she's by City of Light and uh, a Giants Causeway mayor by the name of Grand Sophia. I don't know if she wants to go a mile in an eighth. I really don't. We'll find out. Uh, Brad Cox will, you know, find the right spot for her. Certainly wasn't her day. And, but I, but I like, the way she ran and she started out at Ellis park on the turf and then she won and she won narrowly in the juvenile Phillies half million dollar race at Kentucky downs on a yielding track. So, you know, turf and dirt, she's in there in my vote. So I, I just was impressed with her and, you know, here again, not really giving the European horses, uh, much credence because 
are they going to show up in the, you know, in the three-year-old races maybe later? I yeah, maybe later in the season. It's just the way I look at it. Yeah, my, I, I know, hear you. Preference. Okay, let's let's do the three-year-old females before the three-year-old males. Okay. I think the three-year-old sure. males is going to be a conversation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. if, if Twitter's any implication oh, yesterday, yeah. by the way, I don't know. You're if you're yours because it's probably going to differ from mine. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, I, you know, well, I, I can see both. I can see both sides of it. I just think. You know, I just personally don't think that's a really good three-year-old class, if you want my honest take. And so you're looking at a lot well, of mediocre. Well, I couldn't argue with you. I don't think it was very good. No. Uh, so let's – but the three-year-old Philly, t- to me, is pretty easy. I mean, I know Secret Oath came into the Oaks, won that race, no, really didn't do much after that. Me. We're in agreement. It, this is Nest, right? I mean, it's Nest, Nest all the yeah, way. Yeah. Again, it's not It's not a hard choice. No. Who you got second? I really like Mataria. Um, to her as well uh you know Ray obviously didn't run well uh in the test yeah. but uh, as far as just like again going kind of with the off the eyeball i i love what matteria did all all year long i would have liked to see more out of secret oath for me to feel good about putting her in the top three she did of course win the oaks but winning the oaks and winning the derby are not the same thing but then i think you have to look at society i mean I, society was phenomenal and uh so if i'm looking at my three um you know echo zulu had a great year uh, I I would, but I'm I would go with uh, Nest easily up top, probably Society number two and Matarea number three. I would go, and I'm actually changing up here uh, because Matarea is a homebred from Godolphin, daughter of Pioneer of the Nile. You got to remember that she won three graded stakes in a row. She went from the Beaumont at Keeneland in the spring. The Eight Bells Derby Week at Churchill Downs and the Grade One Acorn, which uh, is always a very important race for me. So I have to give her. I have to give her number two. Now, when you come back to the Oaks winner, Secret Oath, you have to remember that she ran against boys in the Arkansas Derby and the Preakness, and uh, and she also got. Narrowly beaten for second by Barbara Road, just mm-hmm. just nipped her for second at the wire. She was running phenomenal races in the uh, uh, the two stakes out there, the Martha Washington and the Honey Bee, leading up to the Arkansas Derby. She trained like lights out, and then she wins the Oaks, and and then she runs second in the CCA. And she ran the Preakness against the boys, ran mm-hmm. fourth. She ran a credible race there, for mm-hmm. sure, against early voting epicenter, creative minister. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think she's got to be – I think she's got to be in the top three. Okay. No doubt. I can't, I can't argue that. Um, all right. So, when we look at the boys' side, because this, again, this is where I think the eyeball test with epicenter – uh, epicenter looks the part checks all the boxes as you said earlier yes. uh, epicenter uh wins the traverse we had a year where we had four different winners between those races the oaks the, i mean the derby the the belmont the preakness uh and the traverse epicenter you know the knock being that that's the only grade one win is that traverse stake stakes uh doesn't mean that the other races obviously the Jim Dandy's a great two, which is a really good race. Louisiana Derby's a great two, which is a great race. And um, they just happen not to be grade ones. 
when we think about who should be in the conversation before we kind of go to our rankings, I, Epicenter should be in the conversation. Should Jack Christopher be in the conversation? He was for about 10 seconds with me. I would agree. And he had a great year, but Epicenter has to be my top pick without a doubt. Okay. And the reason is, is because of what we said coming into the Kentucky Derby as the favorite, winning the Risen Star, second in the Lecomte to call me midnight. He, you know, and that and that's back in January. And, and really that horse just ran the best race of his career, uh, as it turned out. And then to win the Louisiana Derby. So he dominated. He was beaten ahead in the Lecomte. So he dominated that series of races at the fairgrounds, the surface, very much like Churchill Downs. Comes in, he runs a good second if the if the speed and the way the race sets up, Rich Strike doesn't get past him. Rich Strike, Rich Strike had the perfect setup. Oh yeah. At eighty well, to one, still the perfect setup. Again, the the horse that won yeah. the Derby was Summers Tomorrow. Won the Derby. Rich Strike just benefited off Summers of Tomorrow setting that pace. And literally, if you watch that overhead shot, EJ, when Summers yeah. Tomorrow is dropping back, and when the Rich Strike is going forward, Summers yeah. Tomorrow actually like creates that lane on the rail for Rich Strike to make that move and go right on that rail. I mean, yeah. Summers Tomorrow isn't in that race. Rich Strike doesn't win. The, doesn't win. I'll go to I'll go to bat for that. It's all about the trip, isn't it? You know, it's about the speed. It's about the pace. It's about the trip. And again, now here's my, here's my three. Let's see if you agree with my second choice, Mike Gandalf. Okay. Cyber knife. Okay. And then three is Taba. Now let me start with Taba first. Taba brilliant at Santa Anita, but Maybe the horse can't read the racing form and, and, you know, what they're writing about him. We all know that. Here's the point. When you, when you start, you know, saying a horse is brilliant after two races or three races, to me, as a racing fan, you're putting a lot of pressure on a lightly raced horse. Now, maybe the horse doesn't feel that pressure, okay? Again, they're not, you know... They're not watching fan deal dual TV and everything or whatever. So, but I couldn't, I just, you know, when you start anointing a horse after one or two races, I, I, you know, I think, I think he's going to be a great horse as a four-year-old. Let me, let me just say that. And you can't take anything away from his victories and his Santa Anita race, which was great. Now, let me go to cyber knife and, and tell you why he's a clear second choice for me. First of all, uh, how about this? Three double-digit buyer figures. Now, he was beaten ahead to Cody's Wish, and Cody's Wish is a long shot in there, as we know. But, you know, in, in, in it, Cody's Wish, a great feel-good story. Uh, love it. But to me, you know, it was just tough. It's a tough beat when you, when you get beat ahead. And, uh, you know, he did make, make the lead in the stretch and everything. Uh, in the Travers, second to Epicenter, wins the Haskell, wins the Matt Wynn. That was a confidence builder they gave him at Churchill Downs after the Kentucky Derby. Wins the Arkansas Derby very, very impressively. So he showed up. He really did. He showed up. 
uh, first race was a throwout against, uh, call me midnight in the Lecomte stakes. And then boy, did he ever improve. I thought he, uh, he impressed me. So again, it is the fact of, I look at the whole year and then that's my decision. I would put, uh, and my third place would be Cyberknife or Modern Games. I'm not sure which one's going to be there. It's going to be Cyberknife or Modern Games. Okay. My one-two is going to come down to Taba and Epicenter. And Taba for me, five, five triple-digit speed figures and three grade one wins. And that, to me, this horse, I said it on the air at um, when we were out at Keeneland for our Breeders' Cup shows. I think Taba wins the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2023. And I think the way that that horse has improved throughout the end of the year, and we saw it uh, uh-huh. yesterday, uh, looked fantastic yesterday. Um, tape, and, and again, from the only argument that I'll even like, if do I think if Epicenter and Taba ran a race against each other that Epicenter wins? Well, right now I'll tell you it depends if it's a one-turn or two-turn, but Taba's now one races two turns and one turns. And one grade one races with two turn and one turn. From mm-hmm. a versatility standpoint, whatever else, I I love Taba. I would have loved us, you know. I was I'm I feel like in this uh in this voting, I was waiting for everyone just to do something a little bit more. I was hoping that Rich Strike would have won the Clark. I was hoping that Me and too. again, I was I think at the end of the day, Rich Strike probably never should have run in the Breeders' Cup Classic, should have just focused on the Clark. And if we yeah. if he wins I, the I Clark, wish he had him. Hey, by the way, small note, I'd never done the walkover for the Clark Handicap. Remember, my last name is Clark. Clark. (laughs) Never done that. Walked over, filmed a little bit of Rich Strike. I was so happy I did that. I really, it's a a great story. Yeah. You know, I, I... I hope they keep him. I, I hope they keep him running because not this horse is going to turn out to be a very good horse. Yeah, I hope we have a great four-year-old season. He could have a yeah. fantastic one. And you know, Zandon, I was waiting for him to show me what he had in the yeah. mile, and that that wasn't there. You know, the only person, the only horse that I feel like is like steadily improving, and is poised to have just this unbelievable four-year-old season is Taba. Um, so, I, no question I, about that. I'm looking at this, and you know. If if it's a if it's a if it's a classic distance, and both horses are healthy, even though Taba was the uh, the three year old that finished the highest in the Breeders' Cup Classic, but we know the epicenter got injured. I, I'm just feeling like, hey, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's I'm undecided right now, uh, EJ, on whether or not I'm going to put Taba in the one line or epicenter in the one line. But those will be my top two horses. Epicenter is going to be my top horse again. He danced all the dances. From January all the way to the Breeders' Cup Classic, I was hoping that we were going to get to see him as a four-year-old. And, of course, uh, he was pulled up, and uh, Joel Rosario, the regular rider, again did a kind of a Gary Stevens-type thing when Gary Stevens had to pull pull up a, a three-year-old years, years ago. And, you know, just really knew something was wrong, Mike, and got him pulled up and and banned him off the track. Had to retire him, but uh, he's going to be a he's going to be a very nice stallion for all those people. Ron Winchell and Winchell Thoroughbred. So we'll see uh, what happens. I think Modern Games has got a good chance to win another category. So I'll probably hold Modern Games off until that category comes. Okay. Out. All right. 
Okay, now we talked about this earlier, but I know that you want to specifically talk about another horse in this. Um, in this, this is the older dirt male candidates. This is yeah. flight line. It's, no, there's no argument. Olympiad, by the way, I think had an unbelievable year. Oh yeah, he and, did. And most years yeah. is t- totally deserving. Um, is Olympiad will be my number two, um, and my number two as well. Okay. Um, and then after that, number three, I think you could go a lot of different ways. I think you, you want to talk about country grammar. I know, um, a little bit, um, Jackie's warriors there. Life is good. Um, mind control, even all those horses, probably you can make a case for in that three spot. Uh, for could. me, it's for me again, this is kind of probably going more off the, the eyeball. I, I, but I freaking hate how, I, how life is good. Just could not show up in the Breeders' Cup classic really at all. Uh, but life is good will be my my third pick. So, well, let let's go back to life is good because, as you said, when you get to when you get to one and two, and then you start looking at three, and it easily could be five or six horses for me. Mm-hmm. They had one choice with life is good. They had to go to the front. They had to. I, I don't know if it was the plan. Obviously, it wasn't the plan to go that fast. Right. But nonetheless, they had they, they made a decision to go immediately and take it to flight line. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's horse racing. A, a brilliant horse, a fantastic horse could, you know, love love his campaign, love what he did. But uh, when you look at what flight line did. And, you know, when you put two races together, like the Pacific Classic and the Breeders' Cup Classic, to me, that separates him. Oh, yeah. Olympiad runs a good second later on. He's retired. And so he's gone. And I'd love to have seen him come back. Loved his race, his win in the Stephen Foster. You know, and uh, he had a heck of a year. And I wish I'd have bet a lot more money on him, too. (laughs) Which I didn't, but uh, I liked him a lot. I said, leading up to the Breeders' Cup Classic, this is the overlooked horse right here. Oh, yeah. Everybody's concentrating on life is good and flight line. Did you uh, want to mention country grammar at all here and talk about? And and really, for me, Mike, it comes down to country grammar, who we're going to see next year, and I'm so happy about that. It really, it, it really comes down to him and well, life is good uh, and a couple other horses in here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't made up my mind on three. I don't, I don't know what I'm, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm going to have to look, go back and look at him again. I don't All right. Know. The, uh, the older dirt female for me is, uh, is not even a question either. Yeah, uh, we have a we have a, an unbelievable horse in the mouth at. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now again, I think you get to where, who is that the two three line? I mean, I, you this, Louie and I talk about this. You and I might have even started talking about this before <clears throat> I got in the shows with Louie. Like, if you want to love horse racing, fall in love with the Phillies and mares, because you're going to see these horses run um, several times and have these long careers. And <clears throat> we had. Mouth ad right there. The overlooked horse for me in this in this field is probably Goodnight Olive, uh, who was undefeated uh, in 2022 uh, with two grade one wins. 
um, probably deserves to probably be number three for me if I if I'm um, if I'm looking at this. And then I've got her in another category. You got her in another in the sprint yeah. category. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm 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 putting Clary Air, who I'm putting Clary Air too. Um, maybe, but you can make it. You you can make an argument for Blue Stripe. You can make a. I mean, you can make a. You can make a case just like with that Breeders' Cup distaff when we were handicapping handicapping that on the air. It's like you can yeah. make a case for every single one of these horses except for oh, one yes. to win the race. And uh, you know, Latrisco wraps up a fantastic career, but did not have a great 2022. Um, kind of the same thing with Pauline's Pearl. Probably was, we were hoping to get a little bit more from her. She dares the devil. Uh, only gets the one win. Search results, but this is because all these horses were beating each other. And Mouth that was by far the star that, that rose above everyone. Um, but I'm I'm gonna go Mouth at Clarier, good night all. Well, for Shadwell Stable, for Todd Pletcher, Malathot, um just uh, uh, this was a Hall of Fame ride, even though it was just a nose victory for Johnny Velasquez. I'm telling you, remember the uh there was a little mud out there. Mm -hmm. And uh for this daughter of Curlin. She won three grade ones in a row. Personal Ensign, Saratoga, Spinster at Keeneland, and then coming back to win the Breeders' Cup to staff. An Oaks winner, uh, uh, Ogden Phipps, uh, she ran a good second uh, to Bonnie Sal. She just had a fantastic year. For me, it was easy. Now, let me tell you that in the paddock i looked i looked up at johnny and he had all these goggles on now that told me for sure that she was gonna come from off the pace and she did she was six seventh there not way back but right. still taking some dirt there and taking some mud and everything and he he timed her right he timed her perfectly in the paddock at Keeneland, I kept looking at number two, Blue, Blue Stripe. Stripe. Yep. And I said to myself, she wins the prize for best-looking filly in the paddock. And I didn't go back to the windows, Mike, and load up on her like I should have. <laughs> should have. Yeah. Because she ran a huge race against Malathot. Yep. We she actually gave so her good. Too. Yep. And she was coming off a grade one victory at Del Mar in the CL Hirsch. Uh, she had a great year as well. So she is going to, and this is tough, Mike, making these, you know, Latruska racing at six was getting tired. Okay. Still gave a good account of herself, you know, uh, search results, she dares the devil. Pauline's Pearl, like you said, they were beating each other. Good night. Olive is going to be my top pick in the sprinter category, so I'm going to hold her out. Fantastic. Clarier could be mentioned. And, you know, I didn't write third down, so I'm hedging my bets. <laughs> I haven't decided. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to um, the – Sprint categories, the male sprint. Male sprint's going to be kind of interesting too. You got Jack Christopher, Jackie's Warrior in there again. Jackie's Warrior inability to show up at the Breeders' Cup two years in a row. 
Um, probably, I, I, maybe because I've lost money on Jackie's Warrior not showing up for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, I'm a little bitter. Uh, but Cody's wish is in this. Be a little wish. bit bitter, Mike. That's okay. What's that? I can be a little bitter. <laughs> Maybe a little bit bitter. <laughs> I, I I just thought the story behind Cody's wish. Um, Cody's wish winning four straight races, uh, two Grade Ones and a Grade Three. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Cody's wish number one. I want that dream. I want that. I want that story to continue. Yeah. Uh, I think that Cody's Great wish story. deserves to be that male sprinter of the year. Um, and then when you look at those uh, last couple sp uh, spots, I'm going to go Jack Christopher number two. Uh, I feel like I feel like with that horse, they just never could really figure out exactly what that horse should do. That that to me is a one ho turn horse, and that's exactly where he needs to be. Um, and then I'll go with Jackie's Warrior number three. Well, I am uh, I'm going back and forth between Cody's Wish and Jackie's Warrior. Okay, I love Jackie's Warrior, and you're right. When it came to the Breeders' Cup, you know, he couldn't get it done. Couldn't find the winner's circle. Four go at Saratoga, he ran a, ran a good second to Cody's wish. Um, look at those buyer figures. 109, 105 in the Vanderbilt, he win. True North, 107. Churchill Downs, the, the, the Churchill Downs grade one on Derby week, a 105 buyer. This horse just ran very, very impressively. I'm going to, I think I just convinced myself after saying that, that I'm going to put him in there. I'm, I'm going to put him on top. And I'm going to put Cody's wish second. Now, this is going to surprise you the third because... Jackie's uh, Jack Christopher Speaker's Corner make a nice case for them. I'm going to go with Golden Pal. I don't I don't hate that at all. I mean I think that's I mean uh, totally he had a great he had had a uh, you know a great year and Irad Ortiz again just showing up and doing everything his you know they sent him over to Royal Ascot and you know he, he had a bad trip that day it wasn't his day you know he was away slowly had to you know they rushed him up a little bit actually come to the Breeders Cup and he runs another bad race and here's why because there was some discussion and I never got it straight did the one of the assistant starters hold on to him a little too long before he let him go oh I don't know I haven't heard that. Well, there was some discussion about that. At any rate, it wasn't his day. And he was he he, he was off slowly. And, you know, when you're running in a five-and-a-half furlong race, there's no margin for error hardly unless you're just a Pegasus and a super horse, you know. Right. So so he loses two. But uh, the son of Uncle Mo for Wesley Ward, who did a fantastic job as – four-year-old to me i'm putting him third okay i don't i don't mind that at all let's uh move on to the uh female sprint and we already said i think both of us are going to go good night olive on the on the one good line night, olive for sure uh, i do want to mention caravel here just because caravel went against the boys in the breeders cup turf sprint uh -huh. and and won that with at the the big long shot of the day at almost 43 to one um i think it screwed up everyone's pick six tickets uh so caravel goes in and uh wins that race and you know i it just there just wasn't enough 
outside of that race for me to really consider Caravelle, I think, in this category, especially when you have Matarea in this as well. Um, so good night off one, Matarea two. Um, you When you look at that third line, you know, you another horse that we're going to say goodbye to is Cece, um, who had an amazing career. I could see her on the three line. I could see Echo Zulu. And I could see putting Caravelle on that three line as well. Um, so where did you go with this uh, field? Right with you on one and two. No question. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going with Echo Zulu. Okay. I love this filly. Um, when you look at what she did, I think she ran as hard as she could. She won the Fairground Oaks. She won the Dogwood. Uh, in the Kentucky Oaks, uh, you know, she came in there. And, and this was a brilliant filly, by the way, as a two-year-old, as you know. And so they they waited. You know, they waited till March to run her. Her first race was in the Fairground Oaks. And she didn't disappoint as a favorite. She won by a nose over Hidden Connection. So I really think that for her campaign, four races, two wins, uh, and, and, and running second, uh, good, not, good night, Olive. I really think she deserves to be in the top three, Mike. And yeah. uh, she just, she's just a very, very talented filly for Steve Asmussen. I think they did a great job with her. And, you know, uh, again, her, uh, her races, you know, she was third or fourth in, in the Oaks against Secret Oath, who, who ran huge, as we know, and Nest, again, you know, those two there, and only beaten three links in the Oaks. So I just think if you put all those things together, she has to be my third choice in there. All right. We're going to move on to the uh, male turf candidates. Uh, for me, this is number one is going to be Modern Games. Uh, we did not see modern games run a lot in uh, North America. We only got the one win in the Breeders' Cup turf mile on the Breeders' Cup mile. Excuse me. Uh, I could have also seen potentially some votes going to Nations Pride. Uh, we, we loved Tribute Band, but never could really get it going uh, um, in, in the United States. Goofo with his mile and a half specialties throughout the year. Golden Pals there again. Uh, modern games to me though is at the top of this list. Um, and that's where I'm going to settle in. And then, uh, and then I'll probably follow in with nation's pride, uh, two and rebels romance who won the breeders cup, uh, turf to be my third pick here. Well, three, I'm right three there with, you with modern games. Charlie Appleby comes in to the breeders cup again, has another great breeders cup like he did the year before at Del Mar and, uh, another, another big, uh, Campaign uh, for Godolphin. Three, and, three, all three of those horses I mentioned, by the way, are Charlie Appleby horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he had a pretty good year. Yeah, he had a <laughs> he had, had another pretty good year, and yeah. so as uh, you know, as you take a look at them now, I'm I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit uh, because yeah, you know, with, with with Charlie Appleby and and Godolphin, they had they had a great year. Um, I'm going back and forth again. When you look at, uh, I might throw in Golden Pal in there again, just uh, you know, just a little insurance policy to say that, you know, 
Uh, I like Santine's campaign. Uh, it's not it's not good enough. He, you know, uh, won the Arlington Million. That's a grade one. The Turf Classic is a grade one. I think he deserves to be in the discussion there. Rebels Romance, again, as you said, another Charlie Appleby horse. Uh, Breeders' Cup turf winner. Yeah, it's kind of hard to go against him. Nation's Pride. So, I'm, you know, it's um, where am I going to go for second and third yeah. on the horses I just mentioned? But I'm going to hold the my turf hand. races to me are, are the turf. They're really tough. I think the turf categories are really tough. I mean, I mean, because they're all over the place, you know. And I just uh, we're not we're not separating out sprinters and uh, distance horses, and it's just there. There's a lot to consider, and it's hard to compare them. I mean, uh, I think without qu uh, question, these are the probably the toughest categories, especially when you get to those number two and number three uh, spots for me for the males and the females. Couldn't agree with you more. Very tough. Very tough to. And, and again, let's let's remind you, we are asked as voters to have three horses in each category. Right. And, you know, I think that's a great system, the way they do it and everything. And again, hats off to Daily Racing Forum, NTRA, and uh, the National Turf Riders and Broadcasters. Those okay. are the groups that take care of the uh, voting for the eclipse. Didn't mention it's the 26th of 2023, January 26th. It's a 52nd annual at the Breakers in Palm Beach. And I don't know if I've been at the Breakers or not. They've been having having it uh, at Gulfstream Park the last few years. And I was able to actually attend it a few years ago at uh, Gulfstream Park. So Did you wear tux? I did not wear a tux. I wore a dark suit with a solid black tie and a new pair of black cowboy boots. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I might I, add they were they were not just your regular day to day pair of cowboy boots. You know. So. <laughs> All right, so let's move on uh, to the female turf candidates. Uh, this is again another just really interesting. Uh, category for me because if you would have asked me ej if you would have said in june or july who's going to yeah. win the female turf i would have been like it's going to be bleaker street bleaker street's going to be this yeah. impressive horse she goes to diana she obviously does not perform i never we never really heard if she got hurt or whatever happened to her exactly in the diana she, i don't know if you did ej she got no, sidelined and then they basically retired her and we never saw her again um, but she was dominant in, in those first five races of, um, of 2022, um, as dominant as any Philly, I feel like has been in, in this, in this category. I don't know if that's enough for her to be considered because she, we only got really got that half a year from her. Um, and she's obviously not going to not race anymore, but when you look at this, like when you look at this field, you know, you had Gina Romanica, who was who won four out of seven races. Uh, you had Caravelle again, who was the long shot, who stepped and beat the boys in the turf sprint. Uh, you got Regal Glory here. You got an Italian who probably might be the fastest out of all these horses. Um, you know, I, this this field for this was 
by far my toughest overall category. So who did you go with here? Talk me you, to who I should go you with. You know who we haven't mentioned a lot directly in all this is Chad Brown, who right. has had so many great winners and great horses on the turf. So for me, I am looking at Regal Glory. Okay. Uh, you didn't mention Warlike Goddess. Warlike Warlike Goddess, yep. And certainly, uh, you know, for Bill Mott, this, uh, you know, she ran third in the Breeders' Cup turf and against Rebels Romance and Stone Age. So that was, that was an impressive race for her. Um, you know, she didn't get it done. Uh, she had a, you know, she'd come off a grade one victory in the turf classic at, at, uh, Belmont, uh, at the aqueduct. You see it in your program is B a Q that's Belmont. The big at, A, uh, the, yeah, the Belmont meet at Aqueduct, so yeah, uh, because they, you know, were working on uh, Belmont Park, and uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what Belmont looks next year. For, I'm hoping to go, by the way, for the first time. I've never been, so I'm hoping to me? go. I'm hoping to go to the Belmont this year. You've never been to the Belmont? No. Oh, you, you're going to enjoy it. You're yeah. going to enjoy it on Long Island, Elmont, New York. Yeah, just. Um, you know, they pretty much concentrated to 90,000 people. It's a big place. Um, they needed an upgrade badly, and I'm glad that Naira did. We've been been to Belmont. My first trip to Belmont was actually not for the Belmont Stakes, but for the 95 Breeders' Cup. Okay. And it was cold up there. But... Uh, <laughs> Belmont's beautiful. I haven't been there in a few years, but I want to go back. All right. All right. So in this category, the female turf candidates, as you said, you know, uh, Leaker Street early on. I'm glad that uh, Delica, who was included in there, um, you know, in the voting, I'm, you know, she won – uh, the Beverly D at Churchill Downs for Arlington Million Day, the first time it ever been held, first and only time, by the way, because they've already decided uh, Colonial Downs now will be the new site for Arlington Million Day. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, great job. They kept her at home for Delica, for Al Stahl. Just want to give them a shout out in there. I'm going to go with Regal Glory. Uh, on top and uh, and not necessarily, you know, just checking all the boxes and, you know, you had to do this or your speed figures or anything like that. I'm just leaning toward Regal Glory and I'm, I'm just really impressed. Uh, she, you know, she uh, just recently won the Matriarch, a great one out there in California, very impressively. And, you know, she, she, she ran at Keeneland, she ran at, in New York at Saratoga and Belmont. And so she was running in grade one company. All those, she only ran in one grade one, grade three race. Right. That was her first race at Gulfstream this year, which she won. She won the grade one Jenny Wiley, one of my favorite races on the turf at Keeneland, by the way. In the, and, and that is usually, uh, you know, this is a, you know, 
no picnic in in those turf races at Keeneland, I'll tell you. Just a game. She came back and, and won that. Uh, second in the four-star, Dave. The first lady, she was beating the length. Another good race for her. And then, uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup mile, throw it out. Yep. Throw out, put a line through it. So she's she's on top right there. By the way, uh, of this list of contenders that we have, Chad Brown has seven of them. Yeah. And almost every one of the ones that we've mentioned. I mean, all seven yeah. of them are at the top of the list. And uh, I, I I do think that probably for me, I'm going to go Bleecker Street 3. And between one and two, it's going to be between Regal uh, Regal Glory in, in Italian. Um, I might let my heritage uh, lead me one way over the other on that boat. So we'll see. But uh, but I, I think that's where I'm going to settle into, EJ. I'm going to go with Warlike Goddess second, Gina Romanica third. Okay. Well, that that wraps up our fields. We're not going to get into the horsemen. We just want to talk about the horses. Uh, like I said, tune in the rest of this week because Louie is going to be around with Ron Flatter at one time and uh, and, and John Sherva. So that's a pretty good – you're in good company with Flatter and Sherva, DJ. <laughs> I mean, that's yes, uh, indeed. Thank you. And not only that, you know, I, I'm usually in hibernation during this time of year. Louie always makes fun of me because I take some time off. And so, yeah, uh, this is the rare show for me uh, in December. So, uh, but I appreciate you coming on. Anything else that you want to talk about uh, or mention that happened this year in 2022 in racing? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate that. You know, what, um, what we saw, we saw, a year where, and, and and usually is the case, we had we had some unfinished business with Medina Spirits. So we finally we, we finally got the res. Even though the the legal proceedings continue, whether or not Medina Spirit should have been disqualified uh, with a beta methadone with the very small amount, but it. The rules say no amount, so right. zero. Okay, what what about zero? Don't you understand? Right. But anyway, put that aside. So we were st- we started the we started the year with that. We started the year, and then we got resolution, and and then all of a sudden everybody's asking, especially Derby Weeks with Cyberknife, with Brad Cox. Hey, you know, you've been declared the the winning trainer of the Kentucky Derby. What do you think? Same answer every time. Didn't get to enjoy it. Didn't get, you know, we're not going to celebrate, you know, the owners decide that, uh, you know, they'll just be low key about it. You know, still, you know, there's there's still legal proceedings going on and, and there's still a lawsuit and a countersuit and, and, uh, Bafford serves his time. He serves his 90 days. It is set up to where he cannot participate anywhere in the triple crown. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay that the Kentucky racing commission took their time in making a decision. And we're, you know, we're still, the Bafford situation with the Triple Crown with the Kentucky Derby can't be at Derby 2023 with the horse. Can't right. train a horse in the Derby. 
And then he's got some contenders. Well, he's got a lot of contenders. He's got a lot of contenders. To begin with at the top and a, and a whole bunch. He was running. Oh, I'll tell you what, the Arabian night horse that we saw. Oh, yeah. That day. yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he's just loaded up. So, you know, you get that resolved. And um, so, uh, again, you know, not to spend too much time on that. But we st- that that's the way we started this year. We ended it with something that racing needs. We're not going to see him run as a five-year-old. But racing needs superstars. We saw that in flight line. Yep. We saw what Nest was all about when she went back to New York. We saw a horse by the name of Mo Donegal. And, you know, if this horse stays sound, what could he be? Mm-hmm. You know, he wins the Travers. He wins the Belmont Stakes. I'm sorry, Epicenter won the Travers. Yeah, the Travers, yeah. Uh, but uh, what could he be? And, you know, we had uh, uh, we had the connections on and Jerry Crawford and uh, had a nice podcast with him talking about after – O'Donagan won the Belmont Stakes. So, you know, we had a different winner, early voting, rich strike, O'Donagan in the Triple Crown. And, and then throwing Epicenter there for the uh yeah. for the Travers, because I think you know, yeah, and the- Epicenter wins the the Midsummer Derby. And um, you know, it came out pretty good. I'm pretty happy with everything. I didn't didn't like to see those defections, but when I look at the whole year, Mike. And I looked the way it ended. I'm happy about it. I'm happy about, you know, horse racing. Well, I think there's a lot of people too, who are disappointed that we're not going to see Flatline run anymore. Like you get this superstar and then all of a sudden he just, you know, you, you can buy two and a half percent of them for $4 million. And, um, but the, uh, and you know, who's two and a half percent that was that came from where's thoroughbreds. Uh, what you? No, <laughs> I thought I saw you writing that check. I, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I've been writing that check in my uh, thoroughbred winning dreams. <laughs> but at the end, of the, at the end of the day, like you know, what you as a fan of the sport, you know, and I think we're starting to see this at least with American Pharaoh. Sure. We're definitely seeing it with Gunrunner, and we're seeing it uh, with Curlin. Like, if you love the horse, fall in love with their babies, you know, and then yeah, just right. You know, you gotta you gotta look at it as a whole and just say, hey, great. You know, I, I loved watching, you know, this horse's dad run. I loved watching this horse's mom run, and just know that we've got some good ones coming down. I mean, Gun Runners having a huge year as a sire. We're just mm-hmm. we're just seeing some uh, incredible horses come out, and uh, and if you start to like just pay attention to the breeding side, I think it's it's really impactful. But then again, those fillies and mares, they're gonna get two or three seasons out of them, if not four. So. Uh, that's another, you know, when we have the Phillies and Mares that step up and beat the Zenyatas and the superstars of the sport that way, I think it's a lot of fun too. You know, I asked uh, Costa Aronis at, at the end of the media uh, event after the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, his press conference, and he came in there a little bit late. And I really hadn't had a chance to talk to him. He's, of course, he and his brother – and their family have done so well with, uh, they won uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic uh, twice in Kentucky, you know, 2018 and and now in 2022 with Flightline. And I asked him, I said, you know, do you, um, do you feel like um, 
with these horses that, that, you know, can't get any better than this. And he looked at me, Mike, and he said, you know what? Several people have asked me that. And we're, you know, who, who knows? He said, we, we, when we won our first big race, when they first got into the game and, and somebody said, enjoy this because it may not happen again. And now, you know, it's, you know, for them, they've had, you know, a lot of stars and, and a lot of great success in, in the Breeders' Cup. And he says to me, you know, maybe the next horse, maybe the next horse is going to be bigger than Flight Line or do something else. Remember, they've never, they've never won a Triple Crown race out there in California. And their family, their dad, after World War II in 1945 in Northern California, started out with... Uh, table grapes and citrus fruits. And they have 8,000 acres in Northern wow. California. Wow. And part of it is a ranch, which got OEJ's attention, you know? So, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, by the way, can I throw in a cheap plug? Do you mind? Sure. Absolutely. We got to plug your show for sure. So go yeah. ahead and do that. And then we'll plug. Um, there's two things. Uh, uh, last year, I interviewed Red Steagall. Red Steagall is um, the official poet, poet laureate of Texas. He is just a great gentleman. Uh, he's a songwriter. He's he's he did movies. He was out in California and Hollywood for a while in his younger days. He hosts his own show somewhere west west of Wall Street on RFD TV. Cowboy Corner on the radio, 150 stations. First time I, I got to interview him was actually in April uh, of the following year, but it didn't. the The show didn't air because we were talking about the Four Sixes Ranch, which Mary and I visited back in 2016 before you know Yellowstone came out. And so I wanted to talk to him about the the you know. Uh, Yellowstone and in, in, in the series and other things, but he's one of these people like Mike, Michael Martin Murphy, that's keeping the Western culture, music and genre alive. And I very much admire them for that. So that's, that's a show that's part two of that. There's one already, but part two is going to be coming out uh, probably in January, but before that happens, and I've got to get to the work on that, uh, Mary and I attended the Texas Cowboys Christmas ball. Oh, wow. It started in the 1800s outside of Abilene, north of Abilene, about 30 minutes is a town called Anson. And it was started in a hotel and Michael Martin Murphy has played the, and actually did, did a song, the Cowboy Christmas ball. Uh, has played that for a number of years, and it was on our bucket list, Mike. It uh, there are certain rules about it, which you know you'll find out in the podcast and everything. But we've got video and you know some different things. But uh, to me, it was um, it, it was way above my expectations. If you know anything about this old radio cowboy, we you know we've been plugging the western thing for a long, long time. So. That's, you like, you like both types of music, right? Country and Western. Oh, I love it. I mean, you know, I, I was a DJ. I was doing country radio for about 
uh, about 19, 18 years. I wanted to be a top 40 disc jockey. I, as a kid, wanted to work at WAKY here in the Louisville area, which, which went away and came back and it's been a great story. And, and my first radio uh, gig was at VEZ uh, 106.9 here in the, in the Louisville market as a part-timer. But, you know, I love all kinds of music, Mike. I really yeah. do. And I listen to all kinds of music, but uh, yeah, you know, I could go from, you know, Brooks and Dunn to the Doobie brothers and back again, you know, it just, just want to like, well, uh, EJ again, uh, thank you for coming on Kentucky winter circle is available at almost anywhere where you can get a podcast and EJ's got yeah. some other awesome projects with his, uh, his love for the Western lifestyle coming out pretty soon. So stay tuned for that. And I'm sure that he'll, he'll be announcing those things shortly. Yeah. Um, so look for, if you, if you love that Western culture, EJ is going to be your guy that you're going to want to follow. We want sure you to there. saddle up with this, Mike. That's absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I love it. So <laughs> EJ, thank you very much for everything that you've done for me personally, but for coming on today and you're uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you for what, you, for, you know, I enjoyed us working together. You know, we did that for off and on for about five years. Yeah, there, was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Uh, appreciated hanging out with you guys, you and Louie at the Breeders' Cup and a few other folks. And uh, wish you the best. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. We'll see you all next time on the Horse Racing Happy Hour.